good. And suddenly I'm on screen. I, you know, we spent the last couple of years in front of a camera. And suddenly then this morning I'm told there's a camera up there and it's like, I know now that there's a camera up there. And I'm thinking, what's my best side? <laughs> so I'm just going to talk like this to you. For the... It's fine. There we go. It's hot. Good to be here. Now, today I've brought with me a, a Bible, which most people would probably think that's a good thing since I'm standing up here speaking. But this, this is a... This is a very important Bible to me, actually. Um, this was bought for me when I was about eight or nine. And um, inside, it's written in this, the camera's not going to pick it up, maybe you won't be able to see it, in this very spidery uh, writing. It says, from Mrs. Warburton, 1985. I said, I was about eight or nine. And this very elderly lady, um, she bought me a Bible, and I've kept it with me ever since. I've got to say one thing, the case was actually given to me by one Brian Heasley, so uh, as well, but uh, he, just after that, but you know what, as I was, I've brought this Bible for a reason, and I'm going to get to that reason in a minute, but when I saw that, this, when I saw that and I was reading that, I saw this Bible that is sort of like falling apart, but I've got my little Mrs. Warburton signature. I actually thought of the church at the moment, and I think it's a time of change, which we have, and now we have been through something. And this, we are entering a time of newness, even over this church, we've, we've had words that have been brought to us that have been along the lines of, spring is coming. And people have spoken about new wine and new wineskins. But you might be sitting here today and actually thinking, I, I don't feel very new. And maybe you think, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's another generation coming to do something. And you're thinking, where is my place? I think this is a time for new mothers and fathers in the church to rise up. I... Miss Warburton done a very simple thing, but she wrote a name into my life. And I, really, I want to say to you today, if you're not thinking of yourself that way, or maybe you need to start thinking of yourself that way, and think about, how can I write myself into someone's life? How can I be <laughs> that mother, that father to someone, to a new generation that's coming, to a newness that's happening? And if you're somebody today who's thinking, I'm part of the newness, and I'm getting ready to run into something new and exciting. Please seek out the mothers and fathers. Do you need them? Ask them to invest into your life. Ask them to pray for you. Ask them to write their names into your, into your life like Mrs. Warburton did with me. And that's not what even I'm talking about today. So that's, that's, that one's for free, okay? But it's important. And, I, and I, you know, what's really not good I want to do today is I'm honouring Mrs. Warburton. She's been dead over 30 years. But I'm standing here with her words written on my Bible. And the reason, the reason I've said all that was because I was asked to speak on Colossians 1. You're thinking, when are you getting to it? And, so, and I actually remembered, I'd had this Bible open a little while ago, and I remembered something about Colossians 1. And it was in this Bible, and I don't know if you can see it or not, but I've highlighted 
lots of Colossians 1. And I suddenly remembered this, that's why I'm speaking on this. I'm going to, I need to look, what did I highlight? And in fact, I've looked through the Bible, this is my most highlighted page in this entire Bible. I mean, there's, there's other highlights and stuff, but this page, and I'm like, that's interesting, I could speak on it. So, I'll go back to my notes. What are these verses that I've highlighted? I'm going to bring them up. That's amazing. Right. Verse, verse 12. These are just what I'm highlighting. I'm not trying to take things out of context. I will return to that because you know I like that. But this is the fact. These are the, verse, the verses or parts of verses that I highlighted in chapter 1 of Colossians 1. This, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Next slide, please. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. And in him all things hold together, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Why did I highlight those specific words? And um, I think it is because, very simply, they're declarations of truth. I'm a loud drinker and my wife doesn't like it. These are declarations of truth. They obviously did, should, and continue to mean a lot to me because these are wonderful, powerful, life-changing words. And why is Paul saying them to this church in Colossae? Because they were getting distracted from the truth. Colossae is a confused city at this time. In general, the people there had created a sort of cult made up of Gnostic uh, beliefs, Judaism, and there was even a, a cult that worshipped the archangel Michael. Uh, it actually had very high, very big uh, Jewish population as well. So they sort of put a hodgepodge society making up its own pick-and-mix religion, and they were uncertain of what truth even looks like, just like today, really. Truth is desperately needed. We have a world, world that is crying out for authenticity and truth, for identity and truth. I ran a missional course a few, over the last uh, few weeks, and I, I shared this with them um, a little while ago. That I was on a call with this American apologist. He works on university uh, campuses. He does one of these, you know, come and, come and have a conversation with me. You know, let me, let me, let's talk about this, um, these truths. And then he was actually asked within this, he said, uh, what are the big questions that young people especially are asking today? Is who am I and what is true? Colossians 1, actually I think the whole book of Colossians, it declares these answers. Purpose and truth as they were declared to the church then, so that we, in strength and security, can carry that answer with us in all we do and everywhere we go. But why did Paul have to say this? Sorry, what are those truths? 
Very simple. I'm a child of the living God, qualified as an heir for who Jesus is and what he has done. And that he gives me purpose. But why did Paul have to say this to this, this specific church? And actually, this is a very big discussion amongst theologians. If anybody's the, the studying Google type when you get home, don't do it here, I'm watching. Uh, the, um, there's something called the, the, the Colossian heresy, or the Colossa heresy of Colossae. You can go and look that up, and lots of people have got different ideas of why Paul needed to write this letter to this church. So, I personally, I just... I just went with one of my favourite writers and studied through him, which a guy called William Barclay, uh, theologian, commentator, and I've, I had a good read for what he was done. And actually, I just really felt that what he was saying was very relevant to us, to us here and, and for now as well. See, the first reason, or the first reason that this book specifically had to be written for Colossae, said it's about truth and purpose, that's good. But the, the main reason that it had to be read, uh, sent to Colossae, was because of deviations from the truth that were starting to creep in. And this happens in our thinking and in our practice very, very easily. And it has done for around about 2,000 years since Jesus was here. Straight away, people started thinking, Oh, but maybe, or maybe we need to do this. And this is what's happened here. And this is what Paul is firstly responding to. The thinking, there was a thinking that said, what if Jesus wasn't enough? There was a thinking that said, what if trusting and believing in him is not enough? Maybe Christ's death did not cover everything. Maybe I have to do more or something else. Maybe I need to earn it again and again. Maybe I have to pay a price again. Maybe I have to do penance. Maybe I have to get circumcised. Maybe I have to, maybe I have to. Maybe Jesus is not enough. It's a lie. Utter rubbish. Either Jesus died for all or nothing. This is clear as that. He either died for all or he died for nothing. There is no in-between. And I quote from another of Paul's letters written to the church down the road at Ephesus. And you've got to think, the church down the road at Ephesus, and he's already written this letter, and he's probably thinking, why am I having to repeat myself? But he does. But anyway, in the letter to Ephesus, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. He has done it all. And Paul reiterates this through chapter one. So we go to chapter first four and we read that because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. No price. Nothing. God's grace, his gift. 
Remember that truth by grace through faith. It goes on to say in verse 12, thanks to the Father who has qualified you. What's he saying there? He qualified you, nothing that you did qualified you. That's great. Verse 13, for he has rescued us. He did it. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins through Jesus. Actually, in that, go back. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's strange in the, uh, for me, in the the new international version, it doesn't have for some reason, that should say, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Because that's how it was. Through Jesus' death that we have this redemption. But also, there's a, a beautiful thing as well in, in the Greek. It, it says, them words, we have, in whom we have redemption, it's, it could be read, as he delivered us through his blood and pardoned us for our sins. And I love that. It's, it's, we are delivered. We are pardoned. It is a gift. And just in case we don't get it, Paul explains who did the pardoning. Paul goes into who did this delivering? How was that possible? This is what Paul is unpacking. And this is with one of the most powerful declarations of Christ's deity in the whole Bible. Sometimes people, I won't go there. It's just, this is, it's like, if you don't get this, (laughs) I think this is amazing. So verse 15, he says, he is the image of God. If you remember in John, Jesus said to to Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. This is that further declaration. This is what God incarnate looks like. Jesus Christ. I will digress here because I like... I I was thinking about this, you know, and I don't know, some people have in their minds this idea of, you know, one day you're going to stand in front of the throne. You're going to stand in front of God. And I've got some truth for you here. Yes, you are. One day you're going to stand. And I think about that and I think, can you imagine that's going to be awesome and terrible and all the rest of it? But then I think, but but I know him. I I know him. I've I've read his words in Jesus Christ's words. I already know the Father because I got to know him through the Son. Yes. I think of the moment, there's a moment in John, it's John chapter 9, isn't it, when the, the woman who's been committed, caught, caught in adultery and gets brought in front of Jesus. And you've got to think, if she knew who she was in front of, if she wasn't scared before, you'd think she must have been terrified at that moment. This fact that you had this, this lady who'd been caught in sin and was going to be stoned to death, and she's brought in front of the King of Kings. Who condemns you? Because I don't. Go and sin no more. The image of God. You know him if you know Jesus. That's beautiful. There we go. Now I've got to find where I want. For God, in verse 19 we read this, for God was so pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. I like actually as well, once again, and I'll go on about it and I'm not trying to bore you, but the fact is in the Greek it says he, was, he delighted, delighted 
so much bigger than pleased, isn't it? God was delighted to have all and all. That's a small word. I like the bigger one. It's in his entirety. He was delighted to have every bit of him in Jesus. That's massive and wonderful. See, the price was paid completely by the only one who could pay it. Just hold on there for a sec. I don't deserve it. Sing those great words. I love it when worship, but you know, I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. He did it all. Do not add to the gospel. Do not add conditions. Do not add rules. By grace through faith, you are free. Just sit in that, you know. It's a good place to be. But then, according to Barclay and others, there's another reason that Paul's writing this. He's not just writing it because he's saying you're getting deviated from the truth. He also wants to encourage this church towards spiritual maturity. He wants them to grow up. That's the rude way of saying it. He wanted to encourage the church to move this church forward. And this is the thing when we talk about spiritual maturity. It's for us all. It's to move us all forward in purpose. If we're talking about that this was a book written about truth and purpose, well, we know the truth and we can sit quite comfortably in it. Now what are we going to do about it? So we read this. This is Paul again. Read it in Colossians 1, verse 10. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Verse 23, continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Verse 28, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. We, as his people, are called to spiritual maturity. There's a wonderful author, um, one named Dallas Willard. And we've done in ourselves, we've done some uh, um, studies of one of his books, actually. We did a, a renovations of the heart. We did a, um, a bit of a series on that. But you know what? He was a mentor to John Altberg. And John Altberg was, you know, he mentored John Mark Comer. And you see this wonderful line of these guys who are speaking. Come on, this is how we, you know, spiritual formation actually is what Dallas Willard is known for. It's about, come on, let's take another step forward. Let's, this is how we're going to follow Jesus. This is a way I can encourage you. I can encourage you. And all, all of that, that's sort of like, that's all Paul's doing. Paul's saying, come on, how do we take the next step forward? How do we, come on, let's go, let's go. It's an apostolic message. Continue to follow Jesus. Now I'm going to read a, um, a modern day parable to you. I, yeah, I'm going to do the warning beforehand. Just, yeah, don't take offence until afterwards. I did, I thought, should I bring this? I'm going to. Consider the parable of the race. Once upon a time in a land of boredom and drudgery, exciting news spread 
There is going to be a race, and all who run this race will grow strong and they'll never be bored again. Exciting news like this had not been heard for many a year, for people experienced little adventure in this ho-hum land, beyond attending committee meetings, waiting in lines and sorting socks and watching sitcom reruns. Excitement grew as the day of the race drew near. Thousands gathered in the appointed town at the appointed place. Most came to observe, sceptical about the news. It's too good to be true, they said. It's just a silly rumour started by some teenage troublemakers. Let's stick around and see what happens anyway. Others could not resist the invitation, arriving in their running shorts and shoes. As they waited for the appointed time, they stretched and jogged in place and chattered among themselves with nervous excitement. At the appointed time, they gathered at the starting line, heard the gun go off, and knew it was time to run. Then something very curious happened. The runners took a step or two or three across the starting line and then abruptly stopped. One man fell to his knees, crying, I have crossed the starting line. It is the happiest day of my life. He repeated this again and again and even began singing a song about how happy this day was for him. Another woman started jumping for joy. Yes, she shouted, raising a fist in the air. I'm a race runner. I'm finally a race runner. She ran around jumping and dancing, getting and giving high fives to others who shared her joy at being in the race. Several people formed a circle and prayed, quietly thanking God, thanking God for the privilege of crossing the starting line and thank God that they were not like the sceptics who didn't come dressed for the race. An hour passed and two Spectators began muttering, some laughed. So what do they think this race is, they said. Two or three sides and then a celebration. And why do they feel superior to us? They're treating the starting line as if it were a finish line. They've completely missed the point. A few more minutes of this stillness passed. You know, the spectator said to the person next to her, if they're not going to run the race, maybe we should. Why not? It's getting boring watching them hang around just beyond the starting line. I've had enough boredom for one life. Others heard them, and soon they were, many were kicking off their dress shoes, slipping out of their jackets, throwing all the unneeded clothing on the grass, and they ran past the praying huddles and past the crying individuals and past the jumping high-fivers, and they found hope and joy in every step, and they grew stronger with every mile and hill, and to their surprise, the path never ended, because in this race, there was no finish line, so they were never bored again. Now, I'm not telling you who wrote that, because <laughs> I think it actually is a little bit of a cynical parable, if I'm honest with you. Because, you know what, it's really important to cross the start line. And I'll tell you what happened when I crossed the start line. I was like that guy there, weeping and crying. I did. When I crossed the starting line, I got down on my knees and I cried. Crossing the starting line is so important. Starting running... In life with Jesus, it's so important. But you know what? There's more. Paul himself says it again and again. It's easy to have, and it's easy to have the cell door unlocked and know we are free, but never step outside of the cell. We were created with purpose and meaning, and Jesus himself has called us to follow him to follow means to keep on moving it's easy to stop or get stuck and it can even be in a very good place what does this look like 
You know, as a child, it was my dream to be doing this. Serious. I saw my dad up and preaching, and I thought, I'm going to be up there. I'm going to do that. God, he's good, isn't he? Sorry for you, so he's good for me. Okay, but that's the thing. Is, God, yeah. And so for me as well, being in ministry and being in church leadership, being part of leading this church over the last few years, that's a you know, desire of the heart that God has blessed me with. Thank you, God. But around December last year, I started ruminating on what we'd been through. And I read one of those other God in the flesh declarations of Paul's in, uh, in Philippians chapter 2. And it actually says, I think I've got it all up here, but I'm starting the first five in, no, that doesn't. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I'm telling you, that's... Powerful words, as far as I'm concerned. First six in the English Standard Version says he didn't think equality with God is a thing to be grasped. And the message, like it says in the message, that Jesus, he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of status. Jesus living in perfect harmony, beauty, and love and communion with God made himself nothing for us. My late mentor, the wonderful Mike Godwood, he used to say, sometimes you have to give up the good for the better. I have seen so many cling on to what is good. And I personally knew that coming into this year myself, I thought, I'm sorry, I thought I'm not going to be doing this. Because I knew being a church leader isn't, the thing. It's good, isn't it? But it's not the thing. I'm a child of God. He's got a purpose for me. He's got a purpose for my life. I'm not going to cling on to something because I know he's got something else. And the danger in life and the way we walk towards spiritual maturity is by looking at those things. We have this in relationship with God and we say, is this thing I'm clinging on to? Is this the thing? Is this the place where you want me, Lord? Or are we are we moving on now? Is this place, you know, people, we talk about getting out of your comfort zone. And I know some people don't like this idea. It's always about getting people. Why have we always got to get out of our comfort zone? Why? Well, you know, have got to make somebody uncomfortable. And it's, you know, it, it's actually, it's because it's the good for the better. It's about purpose. It's about who God has created to be. That John Altberg I mentioned about him earlier, he, you know, wrote a book, Being the Me, meant to be I want to be the me I was created to be and the way I do that is by following Jesus and not clinging on to things because the things the things aren't the things 
He's the thing. I trust him. I want to follow him. I know he has made me for a purpose. And guess what? He has made you for a purpose too. It's good, isn't it? It is good. My heavenly father knows me better than anyone and he wants me to live in the freedom that he purchased. And that's about moving forward, about growing in him. In conclusion, hold on to the truth. Fill yourself with truth. Read. Read the Bible. It's good. Learn it. Memorize it. Highlight little verses in it that you can return to again and again and say, hey, I remember that truth and I remember why it meant so much to me. Memorize it. Know that you are free because of what he has done. And who am I saying? He, God incarnate. Jesus Christ, my redeemer, my deliverer, my saviour. Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And he is calling us on, he's leading us on. He's asking us to pick up our cross and follow him, building us, forming us. And to this end, it says in Colossians 1, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. going to finish in prayer God I I want to pray that over us that we would strenuously contend with all of the energy you so powerfully work in us to simply follow you to know your truth in our hearts to sit in the comfortability and the knowledge that my redeemer lives that he is king, sovereign, and on a throne. And I can trust him. In Jesus' name. Amen.